0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pam Ricchia, and this is episode number 221 of the podcast. It's the 31st of March, 2020, as I record this intro. I've taken to recording the intro a couple of days early because I've been needing that extra time to find alternative ways to upload the episodes as our internet service works to accommodate the increased traffic. So this week, I have a wonderful conversation with Tara McGovern-Dutcher. Tara unschools her two children, and we talk about neurodiversity, how we are all unique in our experience of the world, and how unschooling creates an amazing environment from which our individual gifts can shine. As a personal update this week, I went grocery shopping for the first time since our province here in Canada shut down except for essential services. Everyone was doing their best to be thoughtful and considerate, which was really lovely to see. Um, and I'm trying to help my dad, who lives with us, and who is also a very go-go-go kind of guy. Staying home isn't so much in his nature. I also work part-time at a small private retirement home, and my shifts there continue. Of course, we're locked down, so there are no visitors, and there are more and more checks in place at the beginning of shifts to do our best to keep the virus out, so it's a challenging time there. On the bright side, Joseph, Michael, and I are all playing Animal Crossing together, and we're having a lot of fun. Our island is really coming together, and it's so peaceful after coming home late from a shift to wind down by catching some bugs and fish and populating our new museum. (laughs) Last night, I managed to make my inventory pockets bigger so now I can fish to my heart's content before having to go sell them. (laughs) And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend that time creating episodes each week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. That said, if you find you need to delete your pledge for now, given the uncertain circumstances, I completely understand and wish you all the best as you and your family find your way through these times. And if you uh, feel like now's a good time to join my community of patrons and scoop up some of the great rewards along the way, you can check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Tara. Welcome. I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Tara McGovern Dutcher. Hi, Tara. Hi, Pam. (laughs) Now, we have been connected online for quite a few years now, so I'm really excited to hear more about your unschooling journey. To get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's into right now? Yes.
1: This is one of my favorite questions to hear the answers to in your podcast. I love hearing about what other families are up to. So our family is myself and my partner, Joe, and our two sons, Liam, who's 14, and Atticus, who's 12. Um, And just in case I forgot who we are and what we're interested in, I did make some notes for myself. So I'm going to look down at those a little bit. I also wanted to make sure to get permission from my family members about, um, you know, because there are things that they used to be interested in that um, they might not appreciate me saying that they're still interested in, even if, (laughs) how would I know? Um, So starting with the oldest of us, Joe, um, he is super into woodworking. He just got a new table saw that he's super excited about and really won't stop talking about it. Um, And he loves board gaming. Um, he and his, That's something he and his brother share, an interest that they share. And although his brother's not local, he does come in for, he just came for a conference recently. And, and Liam, he took Liam to that as well. So they love that. Um, Joe and I are both musicians. Um, and one of the bands that I play in is, he's also in. So we've got that in common. Um, and for myself, uh, music is my job and also my pastime, um, which I think perhaps you can relate to yeah. <laughs> because when things are so interconnected, um, I my primary instrument is fiddle. And so I play in an Irish band and I play in a folk duo and a couple of other, a jazz ensemble, a couple of other things. Um, but I also really love to read and I love to knit and um, I'm a huge fan pop culture consumer, love movies and TV, so um, Liam is 14, Uh, these are the approved topics Um, (laughs) loves Star Wars he loves Dungeons and Dragons and actually we do play a family Dungeons and Dragons game, they're very patient with me Um, and he's really into like pen and paper RPG role playing games Um, more so than board games, he was like, he wanted me to make that
0: distinction. Uh, that's an important distinction
1: Yeah. yeah. He likes he likes board games, but he's more of a pen and paper RPG. Um and he also loves pop culture. He loves um comedies like um favorites that he mentioned were It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um Community, which I loved when it came out. He has watched all of and loves that show and loves The American Office. Um and then his other big interest is that he has a pet, bearded dragon and is very um, invested in caring for him. Actually, we'd recently found a her <laughs> the dragon is female. Um, so he, uh, has re- that's really been an interesting learning curve. Um, having only been mammal pet people previous mm-hmm. to that. Um, and then Atticus, our 12 year old, he uh, loves Dr. Who, the new especially the new version, um, especially the ninth doctor, but we are now really into the 14th doctor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Atticus loves Pokemon and, um, really likes to make videos and play around with video editing software. So uh, he thought perhaps this would be a good plug for me to mention that he has a little YouTube channel called the ninth Ranger where he makes his little videos and uh, has fun with that.
0: I will put the link in the show notes. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> sure <you'll appreciate> that. <laughs>
0: That is amazing. I love, I I love the range, and yeah. you know what I love about like like you said these snapshots. This question mm. for everybody because I love asking it of everybody is all the little tidbits. Like you, you can just feel so much about. Um, the child who, you know, when the distinction is between board games and pen and paper Mm -hmm. role playing games, like you can feel, I I don't know, I can feel the joy that's just like right there. I can just hear him sharing that distinction and what he sees as the difference between the two and why he appreciates this one a little bit more, even though, you know, he'll still play them and everything. And Yeah. yeah, see it. So for me, I just love getting that feel Um, for Mm -hmm. unschooling kids and I love that um, people started sharing as the adults what the parents are into too because we're an unschooling community right that's Mm -hmm. the point everybody's got their things and we all weave them together right
1: yes and actually I have to thank you for the question because it was really fun to ask them about that um, you know, and when he rattled off pen and paper RPG, I was like, Hold on. What are, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I mean, and when he told me I see him doing that, I was just I didn't know what that was, that word. So
0: <laughs> that's really it was cool. a good thing to discover. Yeah, and I love so many people have mentioned, you know, that I'd run this by my kids to make mm. sure it's okay, you know. And I've done that over the years too. It's like it's okay that we're um, mentioning things, talking about things. Mm-hmm. You know, where is the line? What might make you mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable? What wouldn't you like me to share? All that—that that, that are, is great conversations to have with our kids. Even if we're not like publicly, as in like on a podcast <laughs> speaking about right. them, even a great question to ask them, you know, um, for talking with your friends. Mm-hmm. Right? For other adults That's talking. Awesome to be respectful of our kids anytime we're talking about them in any situation, right? To feel yeah. that it would be okay if they were standing right next to us at any time. And sometimes mm-hmm. they are and sometimes they run into the room. You know what I mean? That to yeah, feel absolutely as a parent that what we're saying would be totally okay if our kid was standing right beside us, right?
1: Yeah, that is really important. And I definitely feel like in the unschooling community, that um, level of respect and autonomy for each other is much more kind of understood and expected. I really appreciate that. And I think it was at a conference that I first heard somebody introducing their family say, I'm so-and-so, I'm 41 years old. This is my, you know, because we just rattle that stuff off about our kids and we don't think about how strange it is that we would, you know, use that as a describing factor yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the only describing factor sometimes um <laughs>
0: right right oh. at least you know you get beyond um grades <laughs> and at mm-hmm. least you get to age which is like yeah. a fact kind of thing but yeah and yet that's another kind of ageism thing you know mm-hmm. that we share our kids ages and not our own ages now granted i'd have to calculate 54 <laughs> 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 yeah but yeah, it's that's it's just so many interesting things to think about how we describe ourselves and our kids. So I love that. Yeah. I yeah, I would love to hear how you and Angel discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling looked like.
1: Yeah, another fun question to think about. Um, so we our kids have always been homeschooled. Um, that was something that grew out of. A couple of connected factors, one of which is that um, Joe and I have always had unusual work schedules. Um, being a musician, I tend to work in the evening, and also um, I've always taught music lessons, and that tends to happen when children aren't in school, so the afternoon and evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe is a corporate trainer, and he sort of works whenever he the class is hired to work for, so his schedule moves around a little bit. So when we're, we're having children, Um, we were looking at our schedules and thinking if we went a traditional route, we weren't really sure when we would actually ever see them because our work schedules were not really conducive to sending children to school. Um, And then combined with that before Joe went more in the corporate direction with his, um, his career, he was actually studying a master's in teaching and um, got really jaded about the school system in general and unhappy with what we were seeing around us and so I think those two factors together moved us to homeschooling as far as unschooling um this is something I thought a lot about and I realized I can probably trace it to one of your former guests um my my friend Heather Clark who you've talked to about world schooling yeah she is local to us not super local but um but close-ish, and we were taking a homeschool fencing class with um, Heather and her and her child. And um, Heather has always been just a really um, kind and approachable person when it comes to talking about all of her interests. And so, at one point, I'm asked, knowing that they were unschoolers, I asked her, like, "What is that?" And she um, told me a little bit, and then also kind of let me know about this conference that was coming up. Um, and my, from the description, I realized like that was kind of our approach already to take a more unstructured, like interest led approach. Um, but I assumed I was just homeschooling incorrectly <laughs> rather than <laughs> actually, yeah actually doing, uh, something in, like setting out intentionally. Um, so I think it was a combination of that learning a little bit about that and then attending the conference, um, which might've been the conference that I met you at, if it wasn't that year, it was the next year that I met you for unschoolers platform. And yeah. that was in the Chicago area. Yep. So it's, it's since moved, but mm-hmm. I think the first year, actually, it was um, Pam Christian that was there the first year. And then the second year, I believe I met you and yep. Erica Davis Petrie, I believe anyway. So it was a kind of a combination of learning more about unschooling and recognizing ourselves in it less than an actual move to. Yeah. Um, unschooling. But once we became to identify, we became I, to identify as unschoolers was when I started to um, do more personal work on that. And that's what I've loved your book for. And, and the view from the summit that you that you do with Anna Brown and Ann Omen. that's where I started to like recognize myself as an unschooler as more of an identity. So
0: uh, oh that's really fascinating I, I love I love how you you said like kind of falling into that because at first mm-hmm. you did, I thought you were doing homeschooling wrong right <laughs> 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 because you were drawn to the way it felt better in relationship with your kids right like the yeah the curricula homeschooling um, more author authoritarian style just wasn't feeling comfortable to you right
1: yeah and that was never really of like the way we parented we you know we came from more of an attachment parenting background and so um it was more of like recognizing ourselves in these other people that we really admired and seeing like that feels like a home for where we are headed as opposed to um like going from something very structured into something less structured
0: though. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I like the way you describe that. Thanks, Tara. Yeah. yeah. Now I would like to dive into our topic and hear more about your journey around neurodiversity. So I'm really curious how you define it and what does it mean to you, just so we can have like a foundation for. Yeah.
1: Everybody.
0: Yeah. So I am a real word
1: person. I love words. I'm always really interested in words, and when I was Diving into this a little bit, trying to think about what does it mean to me. What's the actual definition? Um, I discovered that it actually hasn't even been a word for all that all that long. In fact, when I type it into you know Word documents, it comes up with the red <laughs> squiggly <Yeah>. line tries <laughs> <Nice> to <laughs> autocorrect other that things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I found out that it was a word that actually was coined really in the nineties, so not all that long ago. Um, and it's attributed to two different people. So people can kind of look into that and learn more about that. I'll send you links, but it's essentially an Australian sociologist and American journalist, um, are both attributed to this word neurodiversity, which is really just, um, kind of an understanding of like that no one sort of neurological wiring is the best neurological wiring and more, um, looking down at my notes a little bit. It's more accounting for individual differences. So in our family, it's looking at all of us and seeing how we all have different strengths and we all have different challenges. And um, as it happens, we also have some labels attached to our, our various, um, our various uh, situations. And, um, and we, but we prefer to be strengths-based in how we approach our individual variations.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of a lot of sense. And for me, I mean, we're going to get into that with how well that relates to unschooling. But I mean, and and I've navigated that area as well over the years. And for me, I learned so much just by looking at my kids, you know, they're not broken, they're not wrong, they're not trying to frustrate me, you know, Mm -hmm they're being themselves in the world and, and this is who they are. And I love who they are, you know? So the that, that idea of neurodiversity when, when it came to the forefront really connected for me because it just made so much sense. And I'll put in the show notes a link. There was a book chat that I did with Emma Marie Ford, um, about redefining autism. Anyway, uh, it, it, was, it was a really interesting book as well that, that also looked at neurodiversity. And I, uh-huh. I, I just find it a, a great lens to bring when we're looking at things, right? So much, because with unschooling, we're already looking at alternative ways. You know, we're not so stuck on, on a single answer or a single way you know, a single way to learn, a single way to act, to react, you know, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff and understanding and bringing the whole environment and the whole child into the picture is really important. So, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the questions I wanted to um, get your answer to, it's something that we hear quite often and I've answered it a number of times, Uh, When people are starting to look at unschooling and wondering if it'll work, often we'll hear, will unschooling work for my autistic child, right? So I would be curious on how you would typically answer that question. Um, And what are some of the benefits that you see of unschooling for autistic or neurodiverse children?
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. (laughs) And... um, and I think all unschoolers or people interested in unschooling would be able to relate to um, that of course, all of our children are individuals, and it's really hard to say what would work for one person versus another person. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, there are things that um, that autistic people can sometimes share in, in terms of having sometimes challenges in, in a classroom setting that are not necessarily encouraged by the classroom setting. And so in that sense, I feel like I can safely say that every child, I feel, uh, would be well served by unschooling. Whether or not it would work for every family can sometimes be a challenge to consider. But um, so I, my, it's my youngest son, my 12-year-old, who's autistic. And um, in his particular case, um, there are some ways that he engages with his learning that would be really distracting in a classroom setting. Um, for example, there's a lot of walking around that happens when we're processing an idea. Um, and I can see how that would be discouraged in a group setting. I have seen how that is discouraged in a group mm-hmm. setting. I have participated sometimes um, in ways that I regret in trying to redirect him when he was really little. I thought I was very clever. Um by asking him to point his toes at me when he was talking to me um, because I wanted, I guess I was trying to adhere to some sort of um, social appropriate cues of, and he was happy to try to do that because of course our children love us and want to make us happy. Um, But it never actually helped him in any sort of way. And it didn't cure him or redirect him into any other way of engaging with information. Mm -hmm. So um, all it did was just, made me realize as I reflect on it, it was just a waste of a waste of an interaction when I could have just been listening instead of
0: asking. Yeah, right? Just a, a, a <laughs> another a little barrier.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That
0: that got in the way of the connection.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I'm just and lucky that he put up with that from me and didn't get frustrated. He wanted to talk to me so much and he would be like, okay mom, I'll just point my toes at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I'm glad that I came to an understanding of how trying to to place those restrictions on him was not serving him at all or our relationship. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I I love about, um, about even answering that question because so often they're, uh, they're coming from a school experience that isn't working out well for their child. Right. Because Uh as you said, they often that kind of personality or wiring, however you want to, talk about it, doesn't mesh well with that particular learning setup, right? So um, to be able to talk to them, you know, about how, how does your child, you know, shine? Well, how does he learn the stuff that he enjoys, like when he's home on the weekend or home during the summer? I mean, that was a big clue for me while my kids were still in school was that our evenings and weekends and summers were great. The only time challenges came in was when we were trying to uh, fit that into school, right? Into that yeah. schedule, into those school requirements. So that's what kept me keep keeping looking for different yeah. alternatives. And we tried different alternatives within the school system until I finally discovered homeschooling and that mm, it was yeah. legal because you can see these children, um, shine right like like you said they want to talk it's okay if they're walking like whatever um, behaviors they have you you learn about your child and that's a really nice focus with unschooling right actually that leads so nicely into the next question so let's just go there and we can continue because unschooling really is about support creating a supportive environment right for our child and celebrating them as a unique individual And what that does is it helps them explore who they really are, what their wiring is, what they're comfortable with, what they're interested in, how they like to engage with people, you know, and, and over time when you're on schooling, how that changes over time. Because I think that's another big piece, right? Because we grow and change as human beings. So it's okay to know yourself and it's okay to know that you change and to see how you change and find, be curious about that. Um, And we often talk about that uh, on the podcast and unschooling in general as being a student of our child, right? Because that's just Mm -hmm. a lens that helps us realize it's great to pay attention to them and learn lots about them. The thing that's hard for people coming to unschooling, um, first off, is, is that that means when we look at it that way, it means that our unschooling days can look really different from other families right because we're working with our child and the unique person that they are right
1: yeah it's so interesting that question of like did i did i allow you to get to the question of yes, how do because, our things I, I just kept talking
0: after the question because i you can see i'm getting excited in my arm yeah. because i'm really i love this piece of it that you know um neurodiversity, you know, disabilities, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, chronic concern, health concerns, you know, I've got all those things in the mix. (laughs) And it's okay. Unschooling is great because you are focused on the individual and how they like to interact with the world and how they like to interact with the people in their lives and wanting to bring more of those good interactions to the surface, right? Is that a way to describe it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I actually think that this intersects too with the, the kind of idea of um, like an unschooling lifestyle um, and how so many things are connected in that way. Like, for example, I already mentioned our schedules, our work schedules. So um, it's been my observation that unschooling families have a lot of different ways that they approach work. And as it is in our family, um, I've always but, you know, worked pretty much every afternoon for a certain number of hours and then also had some weekend work that I do. And my, you know, my partner, Joe, he works until around when I get done, like, which is later really than most people, probably seven-ish or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we already had that restriction placed on our life, but it's lovely that that's really the only restriction on our, on our family life because, when I'm wrapping up work and and Joe's getting home and, and Liam and Atticus are sort of kind of coming to closure with whatever they're working on, we have this whole evening that doesn't require us trying to get into bed at a particular time to wake up at a particular time in the morning. We just have sort of an open amount of time to be able yeah. to use the time that we have. So, um, And kind of similar to that, the way meals work here, too, are very much... Um, eating when we are feeling like we need to. (laughs) And, um, you know, approaching family meals in a way that doesn't necessarily fit neatly into the family kind of of structure that you might expect for um, somebody trying to fit into a different set of hours. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot of it also now is as the as they got a little bit older, and their sleep schedule started to shift later. I just feel like All the pressure of that was off because we hadn't really lost any time with them by their choice to be sleeping a little bit, you know, later and waking up a little bit later because of the constraints on the time not being the sort of restraints of a a school day.
0: So did things go reasonably smoothly? Like, so, because your kids have been home always right they haven't been yeah to school. and to, and you guys have been working those hours when they were younger so there there was a few hours in the afternoon where you and joe were both busy yeah work uh, mm-hmm. so how did that work out with the kids
1: yes good question um so right now of course they're 12 and 14 so this is a little yeah. bit different but for a bunch of years um we had either a caregiver coming to our house during that time period for those really like four hours an afternoon um there was a brief period of time that the kids went to an after-school program during that period of time um that was actually run by the city um and it ended up not being a great fit for them because um it was just all of the kids there were from one particular school <laughs> and so it wasn't like a group of people that didn't interact otherwise it was like kids who had been with each other all day long and then these two children they'd never seen before. (laughs) So uh, we did try that, not overly successful. Uh, And then when, when um, probably it's really just been the last couple of years that um, they've been more on their own during that period of time. It was probably around when Liam was turning 12 that, um, their, the way that our house is set up, there's a downstairs, this is the where I'm speaking to you right now is where I teach music, which might be obvious from the instruments mm-hmm. in the background. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there's kind of a separate area downstairs where they have their computers and they have their VR and all their fun things that they like to spend their time with. So, um, and actually that was part, it is actually connected to the neurodiversity conversation because um, as it is. I mean, I think this is true of all parents, but we just don't really know how long our children are going to be in our homes with us. I would love for them to be here as long as they would like to be, um, and I would love for them to come back as much as they want to. Um, and, and then, when you're looking at this other piece of um, independence, we, not knowing really what kind of independence you can expect, um, it was it was clear that I would always want to be structured in my life so that I could be physically around even if they don't necessarily need me in the room during that period of time. So I've always, that's why when they were at the after school program, it was partially a little challenging because if there was something that came up and it did always regularly, what ended up happening um, was that the onus was sort of on my older child to advocate for his brother, which is a beautiful um, skill that he's developed, but I don't want it to feel like a responsibility that's on him in the world. Um, I love that he cares for him and I, but I didn't think it was fair in that setting for him to have to be, you know, the one that knows the best way to to negotiate, to navigate a difficult situation. So I was kind of like that being in the, being in the area, but they don't necessarily need me in the room.
0: Yeah, no, I love that distinction too. And I can I I can see that's a great point about um, you know, your older son and how they they so often they they like to and they'll happily step up for a sibling, right? But yeah. to put them in a situation where they kind of have to do that, it kind of mm-hmm. takes the choice away from them, right? Yeah. For if it happens regularly, like you were saying, if yes. you go every day to this same program. I love the way yeah. you described just being accessible. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that we navigate through it for our unique children, mm-hmm. isn't it? To be Definitely. to be by or you know, in, in whatever way they need us. Like that mm-hmm. is okay knowing that you're nearby and if we need help with anything, navigating something that comes up you know, he knows that he can come grab you, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, so there's a comfort level. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in that situation, if the more he needs you, that's okay. Like you said, you know, if, as long as they want to stay and, and live here, that's, that's great. That's fine. Um, I, that's another thing that I love about unschooling fans because it's about yeah. the relationships and it's about the people and it's about the needs of the people and it doesn't, it's not dependent on the age, yes, right? Yeah, totally.
1: You
0: get, you get, when you keep that age, it's like, to me, that age thing is like, like, point your toes at me when you're speaking, you know, yeah. it's just that one little bit, like it doesn't stop conversation. Right doesn't break connections mm-hmm. but it's that little extra barrier that little extra hump yes. that's mm-hmm. in the way even if it's in your mind even if you're thinking he's seven years old and he should be able to tie his shoes you know right. when you're when you're thinking about things age based on age you're not thinking about the actual person in front of you uh-huh. when you think yes. about expectations on what they should and shouldn't be able to do you're not looking at the person mm-hmm. in front of you so that even yeah. of our child just keeps reminding us to go back to the child mm-hmm. and understand them and their needs. And that's what, it, yes. that's, what's important no matter, no matter what else. Right. Yeah.
1: And that, that interaction that you described, that barrier. Um, and I like to, I mean, you know, it's not, it wasn't my greatest parenting moment, um, but I definitely always talk about it because I learned from this. Yeah, And the, that, I feel like that is an example of something that we a lot of us do as parents, um, that it's worth considering how it's damaging the relationship because it's essentially me telling this individual, this person, this autonomous person in front of me, that I know how to be him better than he knows how to be him. <laughs>
0: Beautiful.
1: <laughs> I feel like that is such a disrespectful thing for me to be communicating. Yeah. Not only as a parent, but just as one person who loves another person.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And let's, so let's go the next step because I, I think something that's hard. I mean, I know it was hard for me and, and number one, I love that you shared that story because it's I don't. I don't even like to call them mistakes. They're not mistakes. We're learning from them, right? And yes, yeah. and through our interactions, that's how we learn what works because we're thinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're doing it. So the next step, um, find out where what I was thinking um, oh, is this autonomous being. We don't want to be telling them how to be themselves. That mm-hmm. that we know better how to be them, right? I- then there's that doesn't mean stepping back. You know, I think a first reaction often when people are first thinking about these ideas, oh, well, I shouldn't be telling them. And and I think that makes them step back a little bit versus engaging with them, helping them. That's the piece. Mm -hmm. You still have conversations with them, you know, about how they're comfortable talking to people, you know, if he's walking Mm -hmm. around, if you're comfortable with it, other people might not understand it. So you're having like conversations about that when it, when it's appropriate, when it's useful for them, or maybe they're curious, like why aren't they listening to me? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. these things come up and you have these conversations, but you're looking at it through their lens, not through Mm -hmm. our own, right? It's not us telling them how to better be them. It's us talking with them and helping them be the them that they want to be. Does that distinction make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really, I love that you took it to that next step because I feel like that's really important to consider that, you know, entering into a relationship, not just me saying, okay, it's enough that I recognize that I shouldn't be telling you how to be yourself, but another, but to enter into it and and see how who are you? Show me who you are. Let me bask in this.
0: (laughs) And how can I help you as you're learning more about who you are and want to be and and what you want to do today? You know, there's there's so many other ways to engage and connect with a person other than just seeing them who we think they should be, you know, and just no matter how politely trying to help them along, you're not helping mm-hmm. them become more self aware or understand themselves better when you think you know a better way that they kind of should be. And yeah, it, it sounds it sounds more negative when you put it into words, word people. Yes. <laughs> but right, right. We do it with the best of intentions yeah. until we start to realize, oh look, I am. That is my view of who mm. I think. Even my view of who I think you want to be is different from your view of who you want to be. We, that that's that's another true. one of those little barriers that's in our way that we kind of want to peel away and bring fresh eyes, don't we? Yeah, that that makes me think of,
1: um, what you just said makes me think of having, I had a little bit of a, I think it was when I was doing, working through the view from the summit, there was so much challenging and interesting stuff through that, um, those videos and learning from that. And I I remember having a realization one day about how um, important reading was to me as a child, not just because I love to read, but also because it was an opportunity for me to escape into this activity that was really immersive for me. And I sometimes had a need to escape. Um, And and then when my own children – Um, came to reading and this has actually ebbed and flowed and changed through the years. But at the moment when the realization was happening, both of them were able to read, but neither of them were really excited about it. Um, And like, it wasn't something that they went to as, as absorbing and, and, and um, with happiness and interest. And I had all this sadness I was carrying around because I was sad that they didn't have that escape that, that, or that, um, that feeling that I had from reading. And then I think somehow one of you geniuses helped me realize that um, they absolutely had that. It just wasn't reading. It was something else for them.
0: <laughs> I completely and I was, remember that. I was so hung up on that coming from reading. Like it was the only way you could get there. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, that was me growing up, you know, I was in the books all the time and laying down and my friends like go outside. But I just love to escape, like you said, Mm -hmm. in the book. And I remember that same realization, you know, when you're like, oh, the kids are reading and they're not, they're not, you know, uh, scarfing down books the way Mm. I was. And and I thought they were missing out. But yes, then when that's one of the things, when things are feeling challenging and I'm not sure, um, I go to the kids. And and look at them back to the being a student, and I came to realize how they were still engaging with story. They still had things that they oh, loved yeah. with as much passion as I loved reading. And it oh yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the exact same interests <laughs> that I yes. have. You know, that is such a such a great point because that is I think a really huge piece on de-schooling, that realization of what is interesting for us versus what is interesting for them. And it doesn't devalue either one, but realizing that they're truly separate and those things are just as exciting for both of us, right? Yes. Yeah. And
1: actually if that returning to that word, that word neurodiversity that we started with, um, I feel like it—that that is a word that absolutely includes literally every person Contain who has a brain? (laughs) We all we're we are all that is all of us. Neurodiversity is talking not about a specific way of a specific brain working, but rather that look at all this amazing diversity in all
0: of the different ways that we approach life. It's all of us. (laughs) Exactly. No, I love that. I love that because there is no you know no no matter how much you know the bell curve and everything wants the normal slice, even in school there's like no normal perfect, right? No. Because people are all unique. They have, like you talked about right at the beginning, we all have our own strengths and challenges and and interests and, you know, all that stuff makes, makes us up. And mm-hmm. when you're talking about diversity, you're just talking about the fact that, that the whole world's brain, everybody's brains are diverse, right? In how we're wired is so unique. That's why, you know, we don't find clones of ourselves. We find other people who share your interests and share your mm-hmm. passions and stuff. And, you know, we connect through a uh, shared interest and love of unschooling, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we, sh- we share um, the same kind of actions, the same kind of reactions, uh, the same way that we like to learn things, you know, the way we choose to to live our lives. It's just amazing and beautiful how unique and diverse people are, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Just and that there's no, there's, we don't value one thing, we don't value one way of being over another way of being. And none of that, I mean, at the root of it, no, none of that feels intuitively correct to any of us. Like, I feel like most people would be able to agree that we shouldn't, that we don't value one kind of person over another kind of person. And so we should not value one kind of learning over another kind of learning or one kind of being in the
0: world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something as we're de-schooling, we really dive into, don't we? Because we're starting to, like we said, look at our kids. And I mean, that's where I figured it out. You know, it was, Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't have to go to school. So we came home, but then it's like, Oh, <laughs> then you start um, peeling back the layers. You start looking at your children. You start actually seeing how they learn. You start, you know, then you start to see their reaction in a certain situation um, is, is consistent. Like they're consistent as themselves. Yeah. Right. And, and you learn that, this is totally okay. This is who they are. This is how they're wired. And we wanna help them be themselves and figure out how to be themselves in the world versus right. trying to change them. Oh, that's broken. We need to change you to try and fit you into this because we know, we know how hard that is and and how damaging that can be personally. Absolutely. To, to a persons self-esteem, I mean, everything really, like you're wrong. Yeah. And the, um, as far as
1: the damaging piece, like what, you know, my partner, Joe and I are both, um, products of public schooling. And, um, I, I had a really different experience than he did. And part of what, um, was really, um, enlightening to him as he was learning more about, Um, public school and reflecting on his own experience um, was realizing the ways in which his own neurodiversity um, affected him in school. And and we talked about this this morning. He wanted me to share about how um, he was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, didn't have access to that information about himself as a child. um, And... So some of the anxiety and shame and depression that came from not fitting into a particular um, appealing (laughs) student um, really stayed with him as an adult and, and helped him to really reflect on why he didn't want that for our kids. And at the time, we didn't, I mean, he was doing that work before we had children. He was also, you know, when we were deciding to keep them home, we didn't know that Atticus was autistic. We didn't actually We were having those conversations before, I guess. So that just comes back to the whole neurodiversity piece about how it really encompasses all of us.
0: Yeah. And there's the piece, too, you know, where it can be helpful to know, like, in general, like you said, there are some characteristics That are often consistent, not not like uh, 100% across the board, you know, even when you're talking ADHD or you're talking autism or, you know, Mm -hmm. but there are um, some general characteristics that it's helpful to understand. Like you said, Joe felt much better knowing, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't me personally um, being bad. It it was me as this is how I work. This is how my brain works. And it was the challenge with that and the environment that I was expected to be in and function in. Right. And how I was being mm-hmm. judged, the environment in which yeah. I was being judged as basically as a person, when you come down to it, right. As a yeah. child, that's what you feel. You're good or bad because it's so mm-hmm. black and white, right. Based on your grade. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When but,
1: even, even, even when you're coming out of that experience, having felt like you had won, you know, um, like being, having been reinforced by being a quiet little girl in my case, um, you use you, you, even when you win in those settings you lose because you have this idea about yourself that isn't actually you, it's somebody else's idea of you. And then you carry around this interesting entitlement and expectation through your life that, again, is nothing, it's not you. It's just about who somebody told you that you were. <laughs> so, unfortunately, if we don't take the time to get to know each other and ourselves as individuals, Um, we're just carrying around all this extra stuff that's not connected to us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other piece I wanted to mention about, you know, when we work with, with who we are and with our kids, Mm -hmm. who they are as unique individuals, we're working with them, you know, and figuring out the tools and things that help and work for them. You know, I know for my husband, um, ADHD, probably too. Yeah. I think, Trying to remember, yeah, he probably got the diagnosis. But, but you know, little things like alarms, reminders. You know, you work with yourself to figure out how can I accomplish the things that I want to do. Like when you start with things that you're interested in, things you want to do, the person you want to be. You know, that is the important stuff to have conversations around and to figure out ways to support them to accomplish what they're trying to do. They will get, yeah. on. that's how you get to the things, not somebody mm-hmm. from the outside saying, oh, gee, we should, you know, you know, get you on a schedule because you right. have a hard time adhering to a schedule, so we better nail that down and you better stick with it every day so that you learn how to do it. Yeah. No, instead of imposing, there will be a time when they want to do some things that has some, has a time component to it and will help you figure it out when it comes up, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could talk about this forever, but yeah. I know, thank you. Just, just treat them as the wonderful beings and people that they are and help them be and do who mm-hmm. they want to be. It, it completely respects the neurodiversity of, of the individual, right? Definitely. Definitely. So I would love to hear what your favorite thing is about your unschooling lives right now. Yes. Thank you. And this again was another
1: question that I brought to my team (laughs) and was really interested in the results. I, um, to answer for my own self, uh, it's always been about having a lot of margins in our lives. Um, where we can, that we can do with as we need to. And I do not even really reflect on my own neurodiversity, but I, anxiety is something that I've lived with in my life. It's something um, that I've learned to navigate. And for me, margins are a huge part of, of how I navigate my life happily is when I'm not trying to impose a lot of extra structure on myself. I'm just a lot more peaceful and more attuned. That's a big word for me as a musician and also as a parent, (laughs) attunement. Um, I'm more attuned to myself um, with those margins. And so my – Liam and Atticus had sort sort of similar things that they answered. I said, what is your favorite thing about unschooling? I heard a lot about freedom um, in their time, but also – not in a lot being um, encouraged to explore what they're interested in uh, and and then, when I asked Joe he his response was really interesting, and it was about um, he feels like because we've worked really hard to cultivate cultivate like honesty in our relationships with each other um, that 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 our relationships with our children are more more mentor. Relationships than parental relationships. We we talked about how um, some of the mentors that we've had in our lives, how you learn from their experience, but they're not necessarily telling you who you are or who you are expected to be. Um, And so I thought that was really interesting. That for him it was about our our relationships with our children having that flavor to them, less authoritative um, and more just sharing our experience and helping our kids to move through their own experiences, using us as resources, but not necessarily using us as um, advice givers or an expectation that things go a particular way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love that you asked everybody. (laughs) Yeah. It was so fun to find out. Yeah. It's, and it's so cool to see the different perspectives because those are all great answers, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're just, they're so individual and unique to each of you. I mean, I, I loved yours, uh, you know, the idea of, of, of having that space. What was the word you used, sorry? Margins? Or- margins, margins. Margin. That's a beautiful word, <laughs> like word people. That's a beautiful word for, for just having that space around you so that you're not crunched. It's, yeah. You no, know, you're not feeling a lot of pressure from you know all sorts of constraints you know mm-hmm. designing a life that works for us as individuals yeah through, through neurodiversity is just perfect and it all starts with understanding yourself right doesn't it to yeah. know what triggers you and and what mm-hmm. gets in what gets in our way and how we can set ourselves up
1: for mm-hmm.
0: more positive moments in our day right
1: yeah, it takes some time to work through that in a way that you're looking at your own strengths and challenges, like without um, judgment and without like shame, essentially, where, and, and owning them, you know, learning to own them the way that we learn to own our own specific interests and um, what inspires us.
0: Yeah. And I think I, I learned to be much more comfortable with that for myself through watching my kids, because at first I was very comfortable for my kids, right, to be interested in what they're interested in, to be themselves, Uh to seeing them make mistakes. Like you were talking about, even if we did, quote, well in the school system, you know, what the impact, it's so interesting to think about what the impact is. So Uh for people who do well and people who don't do well, there are still lots of ways that it weaves into your life growing up, like You know, for the longest time, making a mistake just horrified me. Right. Right. You know, and so I would not speak up, but watching my kids make mistakes, learn and go, oh, that didn't work, and moving on, I'm like, that's who I want to (laughs) be. No kidding. The world, and I don't think less of them. I think it's really cool, you know, just watching them that way is how I learned to be more gentle and less judgmental of myself, right? Yeah.
1: It's a gift, really, that we we get to, as parents, that we get to learn, uh, you know, the way that who we are is is to be celebrated. Okay. And Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that it's okay to be who we are. And that helps us, like we were talking about before, separating ourselves from them, right? Mm -hmm. And not to realize how often in just ongoing conversation, we can accidentally like slip little expectations and little judgment pieces in. You know, once, Mm -hmm. once your eyes kind of open to that, it's interesting to see. And, and it's so fun, so fun to take that next step and just completely just connect with them where they are. Like to me, when uh, that would get in my way, I'd be just, just get in the moment with them and mm-hmm. and play with them at what they're doing. Trying yes. to release any of the rest of those voices, judgments, whatever, whatever was running through my head and just be in the moment. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So joyful when I managed to do that, right? And and then I realized that, oh, geez, everything went so much better when I was able to do that, to discard all those voices and things and just focus on the joy of the moment. Then, Then our relationship got better. Our connections got better. We learned more because we were just enjoying the moment, right? Like everything sprung from there. Wow, you got me talking a lot. <laughs> love it. I love it. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, the
1: joy is something that everybody that that is at the forefront of both people in a relationship. I would, I think that you know, if you're having difficulty finding um, some common
0: ground, like that's a beautiful place to begin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And no matter who you are, mm-hmm. right? No matter how you're wired, what you like, it's it's all beautiful. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak
1: with you, Pam. You've given me so much over, with your work, you've given me so much opportunity to examine and learn. And um, so I really appreciate everything that you've
0: given to us. Oh, thanks so much. And thanks so much for sharing your insights from your journey, because we'll connect with a lot of people. I really had so much fun chatting with you. Thank you. You too. Now, before we go, where can people connect with you online? yeah I am all the places I
1: um my I'll give you all my links my website is um taramcgovern.com that's um a lot of it's my music but everything gets folded in there so you'll see all kinds of things on on that and then I'm on Facebook and Instagram I and Twitter
0: you know I'm all all the places
1: so happy to make new friends yay
0: and I will put all those links in the show notes as well Thank you so much, Tara. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you, Pam. You too. Thank you. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.